All right, good morning to you guys. Are you all glad to be in the house of the Lord? Yeah. I'm going to tell you something. We are glad that you are here today. And I mean that we got some special guests this morning, you know, folks visiting with us, folks coming back, and, are, and what, those who have been coming. We had 76 in first service this morning. So God is doing some really, really great things. And by the way, let me go ahead and throw out one more time what Brent said. You know, so I'm getting the commercials in during the sermon time. Yeah, they fired me from the announcements last week. They said I went way too long. But anyway, hey, you can... Now, Judy, you're supposed to be on my side. But anyway, hey, seriously, we could really use your help. We are expecting, oh, surely 350 uh, people next week, maybe more. Normally, you know, post, you know, pre-COVID, we'd have like 550 people here. But we're expecting a large crowd. So, so if you can, you know, if you'd be willing to come to early church and wear a mask, um, there's lots of room there, even with 76 people. We've already put more chairs out. You've probably noticed that. So we're prepared. We're prepared. And then also, if we need to, we may make a, a public service announcement and say, hey, would you be willing to go to the sanctuary and be in an overflow room? We want everyone. Did you realize last, last year we could not come to church? You remember that? You remember that? You remember last Palm Sunday we couldn't come to church? And look where we're sitting. So is God good or what? Come on. That's time to clap right there. Yeah. God is good. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Uh, you know, the end is in sight. Normalcy is coming. And we're very excited about that. And thank God he is faithful regardless of what we do. So we're glad that you are here today. And we're in the last Sunday of our Bang for Your Buck sermon series. Um, I'd almost call it a giving series. And it was because we talked about money in several different ways. But I hope you found it different. I hope you've noticed that we used a different video. There was not a really sermon video. We used a different giving video. And this is my favorite, by the way. You know, you love, I, I get at least one food illustration in the sermon today. I love food. I love food illustrations. And that might be why I love that so much. I love when the guy goes, dude, he brought the pie. You know, we sit there. And, you know, do you know that every air you breathe, every time you take a breath, it's his air? I mean, everything, I mean, everything he gives us and does for us is just incredible. And so we want to talk about, you know, responding to his incredible generosity. Now, the sermon title is one of those play on words that I like to do. Um, first off is grace giving. You know, people like grace giving. I'll never forget back in my Cobden days, um, one of my deacons, you know, I talked about grace giving. He goes, I really like that grace giving, you know. He didn't particularly like Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, where God talked about the tithe and 10% and all that. And, and that's hard for some people. So we like grace giving. In other words, we, we are free to give as God speaks to our hearts. But keep in mind, when you think about that and you think about grace, you know, it's just a response of even greater, perhaps, than what, what Malachi chapter 3 would talk about. But then also, so you got grace giving, and when you do grace giving, you'll find out that you're giving grace. Ah, see the play on words there? When you do grace giving, you're going to find out that you give grace. You respond with grace. You share um, what you have with God's grace. Now, now the story today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verses 1 through 9. And it's a contrast to two different kinds of churches. Well, actually, that's not totally true. You've got a church, and then you've got a small group of churches, okay? And, and they could not be more different than you can imagine. And the one church is called the church at Corinth. Now, have you ever noticed around that there's not really a lot of churches like Corinth Baptist Church? Now, now there is, we're, we're from down south, okay? And there is a Corinth Baptist Church down where, near where Judy lives, okay? But the reason why there's not a Corinth Baptist Church is the same reason you don't name your son Benedict. I mean, how many, anybody have a son named Benedict? 
No, because it's Benedict Arnold. You don't want to name somebody after a traitor, a betrayer. You know, you don't want to do that. And by the way, if you named your son Judas recently, um, that would also be a no. And you don't, you don't name your, your daughter Jezebel. Hi, this is my daughter Jez. Because of the connotation of Jezebel. Well, it's the same thing with the church at Corinth. Corinth was not a good church. Corinth... You know, there's a reason why there's 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and there's also a reason why there's another letter that didn't make the cut in the canonization of scriptures. I mean, there's a lot of communication. They had a lot of problems. Um, they made the church of Laodicea look good. Remember the lukewarm church in the book of Revelation? Well, they made them look good, okay? They had some real issues. And then there's this little group of churches, um, and they're the churches of Macedonia. And again, they're just totally, totally different than you can ever imagine. Let me give you a contrast. An example is this. The Corinth church was large, okay? And then the churches of Macedonia were small, were small, okay? The church at Corinth was rich. They had lots of money. Corinth had a lot of money. The church at Corinth had a lot of money. And the churches at Macedonia were very very poor. Um, the, the church at Corinth, and again, you really need to know the background, which I don't have time to give you, but the church at Corinth was pretty greedy. They weren't big givers, okay? So they were greedy, and yet the churches of Macedonia were grace givers. They were grace-filled churches. The church of Macedonia is real fleshy. Let me give you an example. In chapter 5, there's a dude that went to church there who was having an affair with his stepmama. Okay? And the church did absolutely nothing about it. So, well, you know, life is life, you know? So it's really weird. So they were a fleshy church, and the churches of Macedonia were faith-filled churches. And the church at, at Corinth was a rebellious church. Um, they threw Paul. Remember Paul, the Apostle Paul guy? They threw Paul in the bus regularly. I mean, regular. They would have special call business meetings just to throw Paul under the bus. They didn't. They had fought with him. They had went heads with him. They didn't like him. Okay, uh, they liked the new false teachers who were much more amicable, much more uh, easier to get along with. So they threw Paul in the bus. So they were a rebellious church, and yet the churches of Macedonia were churches of redemption. So these churches could not be more different. So here, difficult and different. So here's the situation. So there's a famine going over here in Jerusalem. There's a famine going. And so Paul and his entourage decide that they're going to take a, a collection up for the saints in Jerusalem because they're starving. And so he goes to the church at Corinth and he goes to the churches at Macedonia and say, listen, you really, we really need to take an offering up to, um, you know, to help out our friends, our brothers and sisters in, in Jerusalem. And so, so they're, they're taking this money up and things aren't going well. Well, at least in Corinth. The, the things over here in Macedonia are going great. They're going good, okay? Corinth is just not responding very well. Like I told you, they're, they're a different kind of church. They're in stark contrast. They're black and white compared to these, these two groups of churches. And so, so Paul is trying to find a way to encourage the Corinth church to come around, to give. And so he writes to them and tells them about this group of churches and how generous they are in hopes of spurring on Corinth. But here's the problem. You know how it is when you got one kid who's really compliant and one kid who's not you know how it is when you go to the kid who's not complying and go, why aren't you more like your brothers or sisters? You know, Remember how the response is? Not good. Well, honestly, the response here is not good either. But Paul gives it a shot and uses the churches of Macedonia as an example 
to spur on, to encourage the churches at Corinth, the church at Corinth. Let's start in verse number 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1. And we start out with that very thought. Because he starts out by saying this. We want you to know, brothers and sisters. Now, here's the deal. Based on what I just said, you know, you know, Paul goes and writes this letter, you know, Hi, guys at Corinth. We want you to know about this other church, how wonderful they are. And, that, you know, Paul may have said, we want you to know, but Corinth did not want to know. Trust me. They did not want to know because it made them look bad. Okay, they know they know about this church over here and they know how God's using them and all this. And the last thing they want to hear is Paul saying how good they are because it makes them not so good. So we want you to know. And here's what he wants them to know. He says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God. Now, hang on to that. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. Okay, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. So, so Paul says to this larger, richer church, hey, let me tell you about this poor little church over here and what they are doing. So our teaching point then becomes this. They weren't the biggest churches, okay? The Macedonian churches were not the biggest, okay? Now, the Macedonian churches were not the richest churches, okay? But, 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 they were the most generous I really like this. I really like this. Because you see, often we say, I can't give like that person. I can't give like that person. Okay? But notice there. You know, again, the church of the Macedonians, they weren't the biggest. They weren't the richest. But they're the most generous. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. Generosity is not measured in dollars. It's measured in your heart. Generosity is not measured by dollars. It's measured by the size or your heart. How your heart responds. And here's what's the cool part. No matter if you're a widow lady living on Social Security and that's all you've got is that small pension, you can be the most generous giver in church. Just like our friend, the widow lady from last week. She gave the smallest offering and yet Jesus is going, oh, 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 wait, come here, guys. Come here. You've got to see this. You've got to see this. Look what she gave. And basically, and she threw in two coins, mites, less than a penny in our currency, and yet she gave everything she had. And that's what got God's attention. So, so this got God's attention, okay? But here's the deal. Here's what I want you to remember, okay? Remember I said, now, now let me read it to you again. Now, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches. So why are they able to be so generous? It's not them. It's not them. It is the grace of God. It's God pouring his grace out upon them that enables them to give. And God can pour his grace out on you and enable you in the same way to be just as generous. So, so the teaching point is this. It wasn't them, okay? It was God. Now, this message is more about grace than giving. I hope you really, if you haven't got the worship app open already, I hope you open that up. Go to Version Bible app. Click on the more. Go to events and get there and, you, and take some notes down. Uh, from this. The first thing we want to learn about grace is how lavish it is. How lavish it is. You know, in John chapter 1, verse 16, you know, John the Baptist and, and Jesus and all that's going on. And John the Apostle records for us and says this. For from his fullness, his being Jesus, from Jesus' fullness, we have all received. Somebody say all. Now, now this is not a partiality thing. This is not God does it for some and doesn't do it for others. And you'd be tempted to say, I can't be generous because I don't have that grace. Well, no, the grace is poured out upon all of us. God's grace is poured out upon all of us. So for from his fullness, we've all received 
grace upon grace. I like this picture. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Here's my food illustration. I have a sister-in-law named Marie. And Marie's a really good southern cook. She does, you know, the Crowder peas and filled peas and all that stuff. But what she's really famous for is this chocolate cake. Somebody say chocolate cake, amen. I mean, that's awesome, dude. You know, we're talking about, you know, your tongue slapping your cheek, all right? So, so yeah, so she makes this chocolate cake. And it's a good chocolate cake. But let me tell you what makes this chocolate cake unusually good is at least 14 layers. I checked with Judy, and she said, Dwayne, yeah, 14, I think. It may have been 21. So what Marie did, yeah, hello, can somebody say amen? You know, so, so you're sitting there, and you've got this chocolate cake, and what she does is the layers are about a half inch thick. I don't know how she does it. I don't know how she, she doesn't, I know this, she doesn't slice them, she cooks them. Okay, so it's not like she slices a layer of cake five times. She cooks these layers individually and then smathers all this, smathers all this homemade chocolate icing in there. Can you imagine this chocolate cake with at least 14 layers? And you understand the more layers you got, the more icing you got. And the more icing you got, the better cake gets. Okay, so so that's how it, but that's how it is with God's grace. See, he put grace upon grace, layer after layer after layer after layer after layer, and just, it just gets gooder and gooder. It just gets gooder and gooder. So, so he puts his grace upon us. Now, now, Paul does a great job in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, kind of explaining this to us. And it's also perfect because this is Palm Sunday, looking forward to Good Friday. Here's what he said in Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In him, in Jesus, through Jesus, we have redemption. We have been bought, okay? We have redemption through his blood. And of course, he's talking about this. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about that we have redemption because Jesus Christ was willing to go and shed his blood on the cross, paying the price for our sins. We can have forgiveness of sins because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And I love this because some people don't understand what that means. Here's what that means. That means, you know, the day you trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, all your sins were forgiven. Okay, so that means all the sins of your past were forgiven. And, and the sin that you're going to commit today, like saying, I wish he'd hurry up and get finished, sin. Okay, so, so that sin you got today, but guess what? The sins that you've got in the future, until the last breath is taken, all those sins are paid for by his blood. See, some people think, i got to keep confessing my sin or else I won't have forgiveness. No, 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 no. The day you met Jesus, your sins were forgiven. The penalty of your sin was paid for. So Paul says, oh, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in according with the riches of God's grace. And then he goes on and says this, that he lavishes on us. That he lavishes on us with all wisdom and understanding. So, so you've got grace upon grace upon grace, and then you've got God just taking the grace, woo you've got God taking the grace bucket and just dumping it on you. Ain't that good news? See, his grace really is sufficient. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. So Paul point paints this beautiful picture of God's lavish and a wonderful grace. Now here's the deal. If you're like me, you kind of want to limit grace. So our teaching point, you know, says this. You know, we talk about saving grace. And don't we talk a lot about saving grace? We certainly do. So saving grace results in salvation. Isn't that right? The day I trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, I experienced God's grace and I experienced His salvation. All right? 
Then if we're a little bit broader thinking, we think about this. There's also living grace. Grace that we experience day by day by day. And the result of that is sanctification. And that's just a big old word that means becoming like Jesus. So, so we experience his saving grace the day we're saved. And then day by day by day, we experience his sanctifying grace that results in our sanctification. And then one day, one day he's going to give us a special grace. And that's the day that we die. Some people say, oh, I'm so afraid to die. Okay. Well, that's because you haven't yet got God's dying grace. The reason you haven't got, got dying grace yet is because you're not dying. Okay, But when the time comes, that grace will be there, and that results in glorification. That results in us going um, to heaven. All right, But here's the deal. Here's the, it's even bigger than that. You know, where, where Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and verse 8, he lavished grace upon us. It's like God has this grace store. Okay? Now, have any of y'all ever been to a general store? Yeah, you go in, we were just at one recently, you know, when we went to, um, wherever we went to, Cookville, somewhere, I don't know where we were, but we walked in, there was a general store, and you go in there and they have a little bit of everything. Well, God doesn't have, in his grace store, God doesn't have a little bit of everything, because everything is grace, but we start understanding there's grace for everything, okay? There's, there's saving grace, and there's living grace, and there's dying grace, but there's also grace to forgive. There's grace to show mercy. There's grace to serve. There's grace to be generous. And guess what? There's grace for giving. And that's what Paul is talking about right here. So you've got to understand you know, that, that God bestowed this grace on the churches of Macedonia. It was a gift to them, but God has this, get this grace general store and wants to pour out grace in our lives. So when you need it, it's there. When, when your marriage needs extra grace, he's there. You know, when you, when you have a difficult neighbor, he'll give you more grace. Um, my granddaughter's going through a difficult time uh, on her job, and we were just chatting. And I was trying to explain to her this very, very principle that, you know, it's a difficult situation she's in. I said, but faith, God will give you the grace you need. God will give you the grace to deal with the situation. Now, how many of y'all, you know, do you ever have something going on you need grace? Well, God wants to give you that grace. So, so the Macedonian churches get this grace, all right? They get this grace, and they lad God, then God lavishes it on and experience it. Now, here's the deal. We need God's grace. Now, there's a story. I love this story, and you probably are familiar with it. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, same book, different chapter, Paul, Saul, Paul is writing, you know, and he's saying, you know what? He said, I had this thing. Now, do y'all ever have a thing? Do you have a thing in your life? Yeah, like, like your marriage is not going well, you have a thing. Um, you know, your husband or wife is not doing what you think they ought to do. You got a thing. Um, you got kids and they're not doing what you think they ought to do. And thing. And, and kids, you've got parents and they're not doing what you think they ought to do. Thing. And you got a boss, you know, and the boss ain't doing right. Thing. And, you know, there's more month than bills. Thing. And you lost your job last week. Thing. So we have a lot of things going on. Okay. Well, Paul had a thing going on and we don't know what it was. We don't know what it was. Um, you know, it may have been his eyesight. We know Paul had poor eyesight. Maybe he was dealing with his eyesight. And Paul's saying, you know, I could do better if I had better eyesight. Uh, some people, you know, think that maybe it was a, a spiritual thing going on. So, yeah, I read one time where somebody thought that maybe Paul's thing was lust. And that he was dealing with lust. He's asking God to take this lust away. You'll find anything in commentaries. Trust me, okay? So all this is going on. And three times, three times, you know, Paul goes to God and says, Hey, God, I want you to take care of this thing, okay? And, and so you think, you know, you know, Paul and God were really tight. 
Okay? So you naturally think that God's going to say, well, sure, Paul. Well, let's take care of it. But he doesn't say that. And see, I bet that's happened to you. I bet you had your thing, Jonathan, and you just knew God was going to take care of it because you and God are tight. You know? You may have got the same answer that God gave Paul. Here's what, you know, in verse 9, here's what, here's what God said to Paul. He said, you know, you know, each time, you know, Paul's right, each time, here's what God said. When, when I said to God, God, I got this thing going on, okay? He said, hey, Paul, my grace is all you need. See, our, our logical sense is take care of the thing and I'll, I'll be okay. Take care of the thing and I'll be all right. And God is saying to us and said to Paul, Paul, my grace is sufficient. You don't need to get rid of the thing. You need my grace. And my grace will enable you to deal with the thing. And trust me, sometimes dealing with the thing, God helping you deal with the thing, is better than God removing the thing. Oh, take a boys, you know, the three Hebrew boys in the fire. It'd been cool if God said, no furnace for you, big boys, and they you know, were delivered. But because they went through the fire... We're still talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they went through the fire because God's grace was sufficient. So, so he says, he said, look, look, all you need is my grace, okay? And watch this. My power works best in weakness. When your weakest, when your thing is about to get you, that's when my grace works best. That's when my power works best. How about, isn't that something? Isn't that something? See, you've been getting answers to prayer and you didn't even know it. You you prayed for God to take something, and he didn't take it, so you assumed he didn't answer your prayer. What you probably didn't notice, that looking over your left shoulder, was a whole measure of grace you didn't even know you had. His sufficiency, my grace, is all that you need. Well, let's move down to verse number 2. Now, in the the worship app, we've got this divided into two parts. We're going to read it through and then come back and divide it. Okay? But here's what it says in verse number 2 of 2 Corinthians 8. So during, he's talking about the church of Macedonia... During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy, this is just weird, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, now we're going to break that down because it's just too important not to. But let's look at that first part then first. You know, during a severe trial, okay, Things were not going well. In fact, things were not going well. It wasn't their fault. It was affliction. They were being persecuted for their faith. Okay? So, so now would be a good time for the Macedonian church to look Paul in the eye and say, Paul, it's not a good time. Paul, we're poor. Paul, we have extreme poverty. Paul, we're in affliction. Paul, we're in this severe thing going on. Paul, it's just not a good time. But instead, Paul says, during that severe trial, that was not their mismanagement... See, sometimes trials are because we mismanage. Um, um, you know, the, the, the afflictions wasn't caused by mishandling. Sometimes we mishandle. We misbehave. Miss a couple of things. Paul says all this is going on, okay, and that, and that God was going to do something big. The timing was terrible. Their circumstances were difficult, and yet, and yet, their faith was rock solid. It was a perfect time for their faith to be exposed. You know, timing, terrible. You know, tough times, okay? Bad circumstances. Circumstances were difficult. And yet their faith 
was as solid as a rock. See, God works best in those circumstances. God works best in those circumstances. So he goes on, and this, have you ever heard fuzzy math? Remember that? You hear it around you know, elections, and you'll say, you know, the politicians throw these numbers out, and I think one of the elections, days gone by, you know, one of the politicians said, that's fuzzy math. What he's trying to say was, it don't add up. Well, this is crazy math. Listen to what he says again. I'll read it to you, then we're going to explain it. And the second part of verse number two, their abundant joy, now remember, severe trial and affliction. Their abundant joy in the midst of a severe trial and affliction? Yeah, hang on, hang on, okay? So their abundant joy and their extreme poverty. Well, what is that? Overflowed. Now, here's the play on word. Their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth. Do you see the play on words? Extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. All right, let's look at it. Let's go to the teaching point, okay? All right, remember two weeks ago. We are in 1 Timothy and chapter 6 and verse 6. And here's what we learned. Paul said this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And we all, you know, we said, okay, if I could learn, if I could learn to live as God wants me to live, not, not, not because I'm gaining his affection, not because he smiles on me, but life is better when we obey God's commands. It just is. Life is better when we obey God's commands. So godliness and contentment, if I could just learn to say no to MasterCard and Visa and all those different things, the car dealerships and all those, if I could just learn to be content with what I've got, that would be a great gain. And we all kind of said, it's difficult. I understand. I see that. What we have today makes absolutely no sense. Like I said, it is crazy math. First off, they said this. In, the, in this severe trial and affliction, okay, in that, they have abundant joy. So this, these people living in difficult times have abundant joy. Now, do you remember our definition for joy? Do you, do you remember it? Okay, here it is. You know, Biblical joy is a deep sense of well-being based on our faith in God and trust in a sovereign will. So, so this church at Macedonia, the abundant joy they had was this deep sense of well-being in spite of circumstances, okay? You know, this deep sense of well-being based on their faith in God and that God was in control. All right, so you got that, you got that, plus extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. You know, I, I, in first service, I talked about Doug Lambert. Doug was always talking about how poor he was. A lot of people in the uh, Great Depression were extremely poor. I, I saw a picture on the Internet. I, was, I couldn't remember what Doug said. And so I went on the Internet to try to find some quips that they had about depre- you know, the Great Depression and poverty. And I came across a picture. And it just really saddened my heart. It showed a, a family, and they were walking during the Great Depression out in the Dust Bowl. And a man is pulling a wagon. A child's wagon. Everything they own is in that wagon, Keith. Everything they own is in that wagon, including one kid. And the dad's pulling it, and about 20 yards behind that is the family. And there's four more kids and a mama struggling to walk. That's extreme poverty. But as often they did in those days, they almost made light of it. Um, One of the little quips I found you know, said this, we were so poor that we couldn't pay attention. 
doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> you better laugh while you got a shot. We, we, were, we were so poor, we couldn't put our two cents in. You're doing better in the first crowd. <laughs> I'm getting desperate. I'm getting desperate. We were so poor, we didn't take the trash out. We brought it in. Uh, that's better. That's better. But, but that's talking about the extreme poverty. And I hope that picture in your mind of that, that family shows the extreme poverty. All right, all right. With that said, listen to this. Listen. She's got on stage. Right. Listen. Extreme poverty. That sounds like a bad thing. Extreme poverty is but an extreme opportunity to exercise extreme faith through extreme generosity. You see, the more extreme the circumstances, the more extreme all of that is the extreme opportunity to show generosity through faith. You know, what, what they realize, what Paul is saying, is that they understood that their, their circumstances were an opportunity for God to do something big. You know, they had a 2020 on steroids. See, 2020 was an opportunity for us to trust God. And by the way, it's bleeding over to 2021. It's getting better and better and better, and we're grateful for that. But it's been a difficult time. It really has. And but did we see it as an opportunity to give up or an opportunity to trust our God? I hope we saw it as an opportunity to trust our God. All right. So now we move down. Uh, well, let me, let me just... Beth, I missed this slide earlier. I want to get it. That one for Tim McMillan, okay? Um, Tim McMillan is just a little bit further down than that. But he talks about the fact... That, you know, God doesn't want us, okay, to keep trying. He wants us to keep trusting. He wants us to keep trusting. We try and we try and we try, okay? But God wants us to keep trusting Him. All right, let's look at verse number 3. Paul said, I can testify. He, he said, I didn't hear this from my wife's third cousin's fourth brother, Okay, I didn't, I didn't read this in an old Newsweek article two months ago. Um, I didn't see this on the e- evening news last week. He says, hey, Corinthian church, I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability, they acted. In other words, there's some of this that made sense, okay? Some of it made sense. You know, they had something. They had, like the widow lady, she had two minds, okay? So, so according to their ability, they had something That made sense. But Paul says what didn't make sense was that beyond their ability, beyond their ability, they gave. This is so big. This is so big. You know, that that somehow they they knew they could give this because what they had in their hands, but somehow they trusted God for something even bigger, even bigger than that. Here's the teaching point. Perhaps there's a reason why we can explain everything. Perhaps there's a reason why we can't explain everything. Maybe it's too much us and not enough him. Here's what I'm saying. In our, you know, in, in our faith, in our, in our relationship with Jesus, a faith that says this, we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith, okay? So in our lives, in our lives, as a church and as individuals and as Christian families, there's got to be some areas there where we can't explain it. And if we live a life as a church, if we live a life as individuals, and we can explain everything, maybe that means he isn't doing it. It's a lovely thing. It's a lovely thing where there are things we just can't explain. 
I, I said, I, G doesn't remember the story, but it's just one of many. And you've got them too. You've got these stories. Her mom had a stroke. Money was tight. And the car was broke. And we're wondering, how are we going to get to Georgia? Some friends pull into our driveway. Name was Jerry and Cynthia. I won't give last name because they may hear this. They came in the house and handed us a check and said, I, we don't know why we're here. All we know is that God told us to do this. And the repair for the car was $200. Can anyone here guess how much the check was for? Yeah, $200. That's the ways we can explain. And, but to, to, to experience that, we've got to be willing to say, okay, God, I'll trust you. We've got to get into a, a mode where faith, faith is just a natural thing. You know, I breathe and I have faith. I take a step, I, I stop before the stage ends, and I trust God. I believe. You know, we've got to reach a point where there. And if, if our Christian life, hey, if our church life, if our church life, if the ministry of our churches is always, oh, we can explain it. I don't want that. I want to be areas in our lives, in in my life, in the life of our church, when we just don't understand how it happens. I I loved loved the the pre-COVID. I don't know what post-COVID is going to look like. But for years and years and years in in pre-COVID, this little church of 325 people in worship led the state in so many areas of missions giving. Number one, number two, number three. Church is much longer. We can explain. No, 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 no. Don't think, well, somebody wrote a check. A lot of people wrote checks. It was just everyday people exercising faith. How it happened. Will it be that way after COVID? I don't know. And it doesn't matter. What matters is we've experienced that. You know, some things happening that we just don't understand. And we want that. We want that because it proves life in our church. We need to learn to trust Him. Now, in verse number 3, Here's what he said. This is how it happened. Of their own accord. Now, now Paul didn't go. Now, listen here, Macedonian church. Listen, I don't, I don't care how thing, I don't care how hard things are. You need to cough it up. Do you want these poor people over here in, in Jerusalem to starve to death? Here, you've got bread and water. They don't have any. You, you, you know, put guilt trip. Put guilt trip. If you, if you don't, if you don't do it. You know, no guilt trip. I love this. Of their own accord. In other words, apparently somebody went to Paul and they begged Paul. They didn't beg Paul not to preach on money. Isn't it funny how we always feel like we had to apologize when we talk about money in church? Why is that? Why is it? They didn't send somebody to Paul... And beg Paul not to make them feel guilty. He says, of their own accord, they begged us earnestly the privilege of sharing. They saw, they saw giving, they saw generosity as a privilege. I love that. I love that. It goes on. The privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. See, See, serving allows us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. You know, that's why, you want to know why COVID was so bad for Dorsville, so hard for Dorsville? We're a serving church. I had some folks come to me regularly. They were going bonkers. They were used to serving and they couldn't serve. That's what's so beautiful about Friday night. 
Friday night in this parking lot, um, cars lined up, and we were able to give out a 30-pound food box, um, 195 boxes. Some families got more than that. Some people picked up 10 and delivered them to friends. The Golden Circle picked up 60 boxes and delivered them to senior adults that needed it. Isn't that awesome? Go. Isn't that wonderful? Wow. And, and we got to be a part of that. We got to be a part of something bigger. But I'm going to tell you the best part. Y'all want to hear what the best part was? I'm wagging, but I would guess there were 30 people. 30 people showed up and said, can I help? Can I help? Friday night. Friday night. And people were showing up. And we were laughing and cutting the food and having a time. You know why? The church was doing what the church was meant to do. And the church is meant to serve. That's why. That's why. That's why I'm so excited about the light at the end of the tunnel. That's why I'm so glad for the vaccine. I'm so glad this thing's going to be gone. And we can do what the church was meant to do. And serve in bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger ways. And that's just exciting. It's just exciting. So, so serving allows us to be a part of something bigger. Giving is a privilege. It's not a pain. It's not a pain. Giving is a privilege, and generosity, it's a birthmark. See, see, Jesus was so generous. Jesus was so generous. See, and, and when we're generous too, then we're simply being what Jesus would be. So, so Paul goes on, he's on a roll, in verse number 5, he says, and not just as we hope. Now, Paul, had, Paul knew these people and kind of had like an expectation, you know. Not as we hope. Instead, number one, number one, they gave, they gave themselves first to the Lord. So the first thing they do is surrender to God. Say, God, you know, listen, hi, hey, God, this is the churches of Macedonia, and yeah, we know we're not the richest. In fact, we're in a pretty tight spot here, so you know who we are. Okay, but we want you to know something. We're giving ourselves to you. Whatever you want to do, whatever you tell us to do, that's okay. All right, that's, that's what we'll do. But then, after they did that, and then to us by God's will, they surrendered themselves to God. Listen, I'm fixing this something big. This wasn't in first service. They surrendered themselves to God, and then they surrendered themselves to the task. That is important. You surrender yourself to God, then you surrender yourself to the task, whatever it is. If it's a better marriage, it's being a better parent, it's loving, forgiving. If it's generosity, whatever it is. You surrender yourself to God. That's what they did. They surrender themselves to God, and then you surrender yourself to the task um, at hand. Now, this is, I'm going to read this again because I threw it out there. I messed Beth up. This is the Matt McMillan um, quote, okay? God does not want you to try harder. Okay? He wants you to trust him deeper. Stop trying. Start trusting. It's huge. It's just huge. Well, um, Paul uh, winds it up. And he tells the Corinthian church, I'm going to send somebody. I'm going to send somebody to take care of it. Okay? So we urge Titus. And Titus was Paul's representative to the church at Corinth. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this, this act of grace. Do you see that? This act of grace. We're going to send Titus back. He, you know, he's my friend. And um, we're going to send him there as a respected leader. We're going to send him there to help you complete this act of grace. Now, here's the big question. You've got a church that threw Paul under the bus 
that is not extremely generous. Um, they allow sin in the church, and on and on and on. That list I read at the beginning. How do you persuade a church like that to give? How, how do you persuade a church like that to do something right? And I'm just going to tell you, a pound in the pulpit doesn't do it, nor should it do it. Well, what then? Well, there's a quote. And if I can find a wall to put it up in this church, I'm going to put it up. I don't have a credit for it. There was no credit given. But it's amazing. Listen to this quote. If you want to build a ship, so you're on the seashore and you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood and divide the work and give orders. That would seem logical, wouldn't it? You gather people, you, you gather the wood, the materials, you divide up the work and say, now do it. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. How do you take a church that might be reluctant to be generous? How do you help them? Do you give them a set of rules of giving? Do you badger them? Or do you teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea? See, the author is saying, if you want to build a boat... Teach the workers to fall in love with the sea. It gives them a purpose, a passion. As they see, it teaches them the, the wonders of the sea, and that causes them to want to build the boat. Brothers and sisters, I'm praying that God will cause us to fall in love with the vastness of the sea. I'm praying that God will call us to lead in the vastness of the glory of the kingdom of God. That's the answer. It was the answer for the Corinthian church, but it's the answer for us. If I had a wish, if that's a good word, if I had a wish for me and for you individually, it would be that we would fall in love with the vast and endless sea called the kingdom of God. And if I had a wish for our church, it would be that we would fall in love with the vast and endless sea of God's kingdom. Just fall in love with the purpose of God. And what's the purpose of God? That the whole world might come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Oh God, oh God, oh God, help us to fall in love with the vastness of the sea. And to help us do that is verse number 9. It closes with this. For you know, for you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know this. See, you know, again, Paul's still writing to the Corinthian church. He said, now you know, you experienced, I, I taught you this when I was there, you know, it's founding the church. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what you know. He was rich. Now you understand, before he was a baby in a manger, he was a king in heaven. Woo, that'll preach. Before he was a baby, before he was a savior on the cross, he was a king in heaven. Amen. Before he was a corpse in a grave, he was a king in heaven. Amen. And when he resurrected the third day, he was still a king. Amen. Heading for heaven. Amen. Heading for heaven. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich. For your sake, for our sake, he became poor. So that 
by his poverty, by becoming poor. And we're talking spiritually. You do understand that, don't you? You know, so that by his poverty, we might become rich. Remember 2 Corinthians 5, 21? Therefore, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteous of God. We, can you imagine having a conversation with Jesus and Jesus says, hey, you want to swap? I don't know, Jesus, what you doing? You know, how about if I take your sin and you can have my righteousness? He became poor. He became sin on the cross that we might become the righteousness of God. That we might be rich. Wow. How amazing is that? So our last teaching point is this. You know, as we gratefully experience His grace, as we gratefully experience His grace, how can we do less than He did? You know, what does grace require of me? Do you remember, Andy, that's, that's Andy's question, just re- reworded. Oh, three, four months ago, he, Andy Stanley came up with this question a long time ago, and, and we used it in one of our sermons. What does love require of me? What a great question. But this one's equally as good. What does, as you're sitting there, and, and whatever your circumstances are, whatever world you're in, however it looks like, as, an, as a recipient of God's grace, you know, if you're not, a, if you've never been saved, and you get a pass on this, but if you've experienced the grace of God, okay, you've got to ask yourself the question, what does grace require of me? What does grace require of me? I'll tell you one thing. Grace requires us. To give grace. And grace requires us to grace give. To grace give. I'm not sure how you settling on that. Um, wh- wh- I asked you this question a couple weeks ago. What is this worth to you? Can, can you set a limit on that? Can, can you set a limit on heaven versus hell? Condemnation versus freedom and redemption? Can you put a price on that? Can you put a price on knowing one day... When the last heartbeat comes, going to heaven versus going to hell. Can you put a price on that? I can't. I can't. So because of this grace, this act of grace, what does it require of me? It requires being like Jesus and being generous. Hey, would you bow your heads, please? I hope you enjoyed this. I, I hope it opened your eyes. I hope that that Figure that idea of the vast sea and fall in love with the vastness of God's love and grace and mercy will stick in our hearts a long, long time. You know, we've come to a time when we have an opportunity to physically do something together that shows our love and, and compassion for Christ and what he did. You know, that Thursday night of this week, what we call Passion Week, that Thursday night, he would have gathered in the room upstairs with his guys. And that night, they they took a loaf of bread and they passed around and the guys were breaking off a piece. And then he said something like, you know, this is my body and it's going to be broken for you. And when you eat this tonight, you know, do it in remembrance of me. And then he had a, a common cup. We do individual cups, but he had a common cup. And he passed that around. And he said, you see this cup? It's the New Testament, New Covenant, and my blood. And as often as you drink that, do it in remembrance of me. And, 
And, and you know, as we do that remembrance of him, it helps us to remember the wonderful generosity he showed for us. May that new thought be in our mind today as we partake the Lord's Supper. We practice, well, I've not found a better word, but we practice open communion. That simply means this, that if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are more than welcome to take communion with us today. Um, you don't have to be a member of the Dorsal Baptist Church. Um, but if you're a Christ follower, you're more than welcome. So I'd like to ask the blessing um, this morning on the elements, and then, then we'll partake the Lord's Supper um, together. And when I'm done praying, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I won't be in too big of a hurry. Um, if you didn't get a cup when you came in, if you'll just slip your hand up after I pray, we'll wait for you, and the ushers will bring you a cup. Okay, so if you need that, just let us know. All right, let's pray. Hey, Father, thank you very much for the opportunity of sharing your truth today. Teach us, Father, to fall in love with the vastness of the sea of your love. Help us to fall in love with the vastness of your grace. Father, then we'll be equipped. Then we'll be equipped to do the task at hand. Father, I want to thank you in Jesus' name for these dear people. It's so good to be back in the house of the Lord. I just keep thinking back a year ago, and we wanted to meet so badly and could not. And now by your grace, here we sit. So thank you for that. Father, we thank you for the bread that represents the body that was broken. We thank you for the juice that represents the blood that was spilt. May we do it in remembrance of your blessed son. And Jesus, I pray it in your precious name. Amen. So now if you need a cup, if you just slip your hand up, our ushers have them. Does anybody need a cup? Are you all good? All right, very good. Just one there. Very good. Well, because of COVID, we do things just a little bit differently still, but there's coming a day. Amen. But you'll have a cup, and there's a thin uh, membrane on top. If you'll peel that thin membrane back, you'll find your bread in there. If you just take that out, please. Here, we'll wait just a moment. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So peel that thin membrane back, and there's your bread. Remember, Jesus said that night, as they passed the loaf around, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take, eat, in remembrance of me. Amen. Now, if you'll just peel back that second layer, this tinfoil one, if you'll peel that back. Jesus said that night too, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As oft as you drink it, drink it in remembrance of me.